my goal has always been to convince people that the set design, the stage design, is another character, mm -hmm. and it's not just um, you know what you stand in front of, um, and that's been an uphill climb. And that's Richard Hepner, our kind of Mr. Everything. He does scenic design, set design, lighting design, a little bit of everything, and the resident technical director. So whenever we want to know how to do something, we go to Richard. He's also more than a little bit of an authority on Charleston Theater. I caught up with him. This is actually a few months back. Talked a lot about many different things. Hope you enjoy the conversation. Nine years? Did you start? I don't know. I was trying to. I was trying to do the math. Um, what were we? Twenty-three. Oh yeah. Yeah. So yeah. nine years. Nearly ten. So yeah. Boy, how the time flies. Um, but an incredible part of certainly our company and Charleston Theater in general. You know, going back a ways. We were talking in the car just as we get over there. As these things happen, sometimes you have great conversations in the car before you even get here. But you t you said you came here to be in a band. So if you go back when you came here, where'd you come from? And can we tell me that story a little bit? Um, I'm originally from West Virginia, mm -hmm. uh, North Central West Virginia, so almost not West Virginia. Um, and a friend of mine from college had moved here, and they were part of the foursome who uh, started Pugin's Porch. Oh, interesting. And um, at this, by this point, you know, out of that, singing in a band, recruited me to come down and play in a band. So I came down to do that. That's how I discovered the place. And oddly enough, the first place she took me the day I drove in was to the Dock Street Theater. Interesting. And what was your theater background up until then? College. College, Just, yeah. which you'd done in college. Um, which was not, um, it was, I'm an English literature major. Right. Not a theater major. Um, but I did do a lot of shows, a lot of work there. Right. So you get here, you're in the band. How's that go? Uh, I learned a lot of things about Charleston from <laughs> my musician friends. Um, some philosophies that are still with me. Yeah. Uh, and that went for a while until um, they just, they wanted to be a road band. Right. They didn't like being on the road, so they came back to Charleston. And then they started thinking, we don't need all these people in this band now. Were you one of those, all those people? <laughs> well, I was, you know, last hired. Oh, so, man. So I was looking for things to do. So we you know, mess around with the music biz for a while, and then that just kind of faded out. You get you. I ended up in a, a hotel lounge. Yeah, as you do. Yeah, and that pretty much did music in for maybe fifteen years after that. Wow. What year? What year was this? Eighty two, eighty one. What was Charleston like, and what was the music scene like at that time here? Charleston was very um, sleepy southern town, uh -huh. and it was very. Um, it could be very provincial and there were Charleston characters everywhere you looked, mm -hmm. the, the people that you read about or hear about now. And they were just fascinating people because there was nothing like anybody I'd ever met, you know, up as far, even as North as I was. Mm -hmm. Um, and the music scene was very concentrated where it was concentrated. Right. 
but where it wasn't concentrated, it was just nothing. Loose. So there was probably a dozen people who support, played in all the bands, and once you're in, you sort of know them all, and you bounce around and from here to there and play some things. And um, But again, it's um, very specific to what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And I was playing beach music at the time with, I mean, that was the whole trend. And um, most people get their fill of that. But at the time, beach music was poised, even through Rolling Stone magazine, to be the next big thing. thing. And that got um, interrupted with uh, hip-hop and Right, rap. everything else. And what was your, when it came to music, like what was your, what got you going? Like, what did you like most about it? Um, it was it was being in the moment. Gotcha. Really, um, which oddly enough now relates to what I see people on stage doing, right. because it's very much like acting in that way. You just you when you're playing, you're either completely in the moment or you're completely divorced from that moment. Right. I mean, there were times when I was playing at the Ramada Inn and the keyboard player would look over at me and he'd say, did I play my ride yet? <laughs> and I'd say, I don't know. And he'd go, I'll just do it now. Yeah. And he'd start playing and the singers would look over at us like, where are we headed? Um, but it was very, um, very free form. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's true in theater. Like I, I you know, when you're in a, in a run, you can be one night and you're like, didn't I just say this? <laughs> and you're not quite sure exactly where you are. Yeah. Um, so the music ends or stops, comes yep. to an abrupt halt. What then? Um, I worked for a few years as a graphic designer, typesetter mm-hmm. for a small printing company. Um, and that got pretty old because um, it was really my first stint at a job. Job. Right. I got you. And I tried really hard. I wore Oxford shirts and <laughs> things like that. But... Um, place I worked was really fascinating. A lot uh-huh. of good stories there. <laughs> um, and that just went for a while until we had a, we had a, a, a pressman mm-hmm. who would quit every three months or so. And then there would be a big argument and then he'd get hired back and they would do that. It was a regular was a cycle. Yeah. Yeah. And one day I just said, yeah, that's, that's enough of that for me. Yeah. So, um, I got out of that, and I had been still oddly nocturnal from playing music for so long. Right. So I was looking for something to do, and I ran across a place in the phone book called the Prop Box, which intrigued me. Yeah. And it was run by Norman Weber and uh, uh, two people, and his friend Louis Bowen. And I said, I called him up. Said, "Let's kind of, you know, what do you?" Let's do something together. So he just started utilizing me as a a third hand to to build and paint and things like that. And I remember delivering things to Dock Street, Charles' stage, and walking around down in there without really being aware of where I was or what I was doing until much later. Um, So I had made that kind of a contact. And that came back around. uh, Norman was working on a film. And they were looking for props. So he called me and asked me to um, build a couple of things. So I got doing that. That particular film never 
got off the ground. Right. Um, but that, that led me to a couple of small film projects to, yeah. to do things. And, um, and I'm trying to think where, where I went from there. Yeah. Oh, Norman had um, part of, he was the head prop guy and he had borrowed some things from Footlight. Right. So he was returning them and they said well, they were looking for somebody. So he said, no, we'll call this guy. And at that point, I'd never designed or built a show. Right. I'd always worked in some capacity. But now it's like, oof. So did you go on then as a designer? Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. And what was that like? Like, what, what was Footlight like at that time? Footlight was a, what I've always called an unusually sophisticated community theater. Mm-hmm. Um, they had, a, there was a lot of holes in what was, what they were doing. Mm-hmm. But they had a, a long history of doing it. Right. So that made up for a number of things. How long had they been in the space? Like this was this was this was over on Queen Street, right? Yeah. Yeah. And they had bought that warehouse in 1942. Oh wow. They started the yeah. company in 1931. Right. And they ran through a whole affiliation with Carolina Art Association, Art Association at Dock Street, in and out, and all of that. And then they bought the other space. Uh, they were operating concurrently. Okay. And then there was a big split with the board uh who anyway so they yeah. moved into their uh, warehouse space permanently somewhere in the mid late 40s mm. and so so they've been going a while yeah, yeah 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 and what was the first show do you remember the first show you did that i did yeah the first show that i did was never too late mm. a pretty typical farce yeah not not a, not a classic farce but a, a Comedy. I, it might even be Alan Ackburn. I'm not sure. Interesting. And when you, so how'd you approach it? Like, so, so you just read the script and go, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I did. <laughs> uh, a lot of, a lot of the Footlight scripts were um, Samuel French type scripts, right. and they all would have a description, a, a description, and typically a, a scene plot in the back mm-hmm. from like the um, first production of the show. Right. So. I would modify from that. Yeah. And they had, they were building this almost a city block. Mm-hmm. And a third of that, at least, if not more, was shop and warehouse. And it was just full of, wow. at that time, probably 60 years worth of productions. So I just got pieces out and started assembling. And put them together. Yeah. Um, did you love it at first? Like, did you love designing or did? Oh, yeah. 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 I haven't worked a day in my life since. So you felt like that, yeah. You found it, yeah. yeah. Um, of that period, like if you go back, um, which are the ones you remember? Was there any the shows? Yeah. Oh, that's sudden. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that I mean, you really loved, like, yeah, that you really felt clicked. Um, we did a production of Tid Types. Uh-huh. It was written um, Mel Marvin. Mm-hmm. And I think um, um, Pat Robinson did music and or lyrics. He wrote the music. And um, I remember that show because that was one of the first shows that I recall being a whole. Right. That everything was connected and tied together. Um, we, did, we had projections. We, we Carousel slides. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had projections. I'm... Built some uh, oleo drops that 
came in, you know, rolled in, rolled back out. I built them upside down, though. That was my trick. <laughs> so they rolled up instead of... Um, so anyway, that's one that comes to mind. Um, another one that comes to mind was when we... I think it's White Christmas we did, mm -hmm. which is like all these locations. You know, mm -hmm. Why do we do this? And I built a 12-foot cube right. on a central pivot. And each one of the fast faces of the cube opened up to reveal a scene inside. Mm -hmm. And um, that, I thought, was... I liked that show. Yeah. You probably, I, could, I, like, I can't even count how many shows you've done with us. Do you, you, can you imagine over the years how many shows? Um, what is this? Do you keep a tick anywhere? I, I, did, for, like I did for like a while. A I did for a while. I've got, <laughs> I've got books of slides. Yeah. Um, I, I sort of stopped doing that. Because after I left Footlight, I sort of I got away from the place where you could just take a picture of your right. set and mm -hmm. say that's how it looks. Because a lot of what we do yeah. isn't it doesn't work that way. Right. The the scenery changes, it shifts. It, you know, it's it's not one thing. Um, so yeah, I kept up with it for a while, and then I sort of just stopped thinking about it. No. But. Um, it's 300 shows, maybe. Wow, yeah. Something like that. We met, and we met, and we didn't really know we met. We, I, I met you when we came in through with the Charlotte Shakespeare Company. Right. It would have been sometime in the 80s. Right. I want to say it was 88. I know it was Late pre- 80s. Yeah, it was pre-Hugo. Yeah. Because, because of all that, I think. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. But uh, I remember coming to Footlight the first time. I was, it was, I'd been in out of Charleston a lot, but like- that was one of the times I really fell in love with this place because it was like the theater was here and it was kind of great. Um, that was during Piccolo Spoleto. Piccolo Spoleto. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then many years later again, when I when I came back, and we did a show together. We did uh, Amadeus. Right. But we knew each other before then. Right. Um, I'm trying to remember the exact moment, but I can't. It, it blurs. Yeah, in between, it totally does. In between the two. Um, but had a lot of fun doing that show. Um, and then fast forward a little bit more when you started to come to work for Pure. Um, do you remember how that kind of came about? Well, I had left Footlight. Mm. Um, and I was just kind of content to mm -hmm. not be doing anything. <laughs> and then we ruined And I was running into, I would go see shows and I would, at different theater companies and I, would, I was getting phone calls. Yeah. Like, what do you, what's happening you look, you need something to do. <laughs> and, um, and so I got a phone call mm -hmm. from Pure and um, that really appealed to me because yeah. it's a different, it's a different facet of Charleston theater community. Mm -hmm. I think the, the approach and the work really different. What was the first show? Do you remember? First show I can remember was um, other desert cities. Yeah, but I wasn't part of that bill. Yeah, I was right towards the end, moving yeah. in. So the f I can't remember the first production. I'd have to look at a list of seasons. See what was yeah, um, but like amazing work. Like I'm always amazed at what you come up with. Um, well, my goal has always been to convince people that the set design the stage design it's another character mm -hmm. and it's not just um you know 
what you stand in front of. Um, and that's been an uphill climb because um, most people don't see it that way. Right. Um, they just need, especially at Footlight, the drinks table needs to be here. It needs, needs to be here. The seltzer bottle needs to be over here. Well, if you started with the Samba French, that's exactly what it is. It's, yeah. like, a, it's like a floor plan right. first before, yeah. And something I always wanted to do because I would always set up my camera, take a set shot from mm -hmm. the center of the house just because it was representative of what, of it, what it would like. look like. And I always wanted to do this, and in those days didn't have the technology. Now I would have the technology with, um, um, with, with the computer or whatever yeah, the program the CAD, is. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, but what I always wanted to do was just overlay the sets and then just run a little film mm -hmm. of the furniture moving around on stage, basically. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> this is where the fireplace is over here, yeah. and now it's over here. And yeah. here's the big orange sofa, and now the big orange sofa is over here. And um, I've never really done that. I've always sort of wanted to, just yeah. to see what it would look like. See what like. it would look like. Yeah. Well, you do models, because, like, I mean, your models yeah. Are, yeah. are crazy. Like, I always, that's another thing I love, those little models that designers do, because I think they do give you such a, I have a problem as a director with uh, time and space, yeah. um, which I probably got from a good friend, Peter Karapetkov, because he's got this wild imagination. But sometimes things won't, they don't act like that in, in reality. Right. right. <laughs> but it would be, the, the models always seem to kind of give you that sense of what it is. I use that because I'm not really good at drawing renderings. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not something, again, most of my career, I haven't done a lot of paperwork mm -hmm. in theater that a lot of people do because I never had anybody to hand it off to. Right. So I just skipped the step of doing the paperwork. Yeah. So the models for me is, is, it's a little more time consuming, but I think it's a better representation. Well, it feels more like, you know, and I know from, from, from our experiences, I can't, I don't know how many times we've worked together a ton. Yeah. Um, but it's like, it's really great when that kind of comes out of the group or it kind of comes out of an idea and you still have the room to change it. Right. Um, and I certainly know as a director, that's a beauty of having somebody, a designer who really knows what they're doing and really knows a story because oftentimes it, it, you know, like you're saying before, it can go with ways where a designer's like, this is what it's going to look like. Well, and, but, and, and I think that for me, I, I attribute that to my English literature mm, background. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm, I, I like to think I'm a little more involved with the narrative than some designers are. Right. It's, and it's funny, when I went over to Bulgaria, that's exactly how they do it. Like when they, when they did um, uh, the tragedy in over there, they came over here for a couple months and they studied the show. We talked about the show and the designer was there from the very beginning of the process, which we do at Pura. That's very mm -hmm. much how we, you know, we strive to be. It's just for us, it'd be awesome if we had the amount of time that they have. That's always. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's always a time, but it's like, it's amazing how it just really helps. And I know you and Sharon work that way as well. Um, of that period, like I, I, for, for me, it was outside Mullingar which we we started to create the you know the grass fields and right. everything right. that was a, that was kind of a real joy um is there any shows I, I definitely want to talk about compulsion but like before we get to compulsion which is the latest show we did and actually closed the 20th season so we're the 20th year so we're excited about there but what um is there any that pop out mm. working that way I should have anticipated that question right. but I didn't um 
Give me a minute. <laughs> we'll come back. <laughs> we'll come we'll back roll to it that. back around. Yeah. We'll just move that right into um, compulsion because I like have been being behind the scenes. What? I mean, again, every production is a different type of controlled train wreck, sometimes not even controlled. But that one in particular, what came out of it in the end was so stellar, which was so unique and so purposeful. But I know in the beginning there was a little trouble. It was yeah. it was a difficult birth, right? Um, it's a it's not an easy script Mm-mm, at all. And what I've said to some people is it's just not a show that's it's not for everybody. Mm. Um, and so trying to condense it into a design was really challenging. And I did something that I rarely do, which was to look up some. Um, clips and trailers and things like that. How other people have done it. Uh, right. Yeah. And uh, I try really hard not to do that because it it steers you in directions. Right. Um, but what this one did was it made me think, now what? Mm-hmm. Because their their design was so um, large and kind of sprawling. Mm-hmm. And um, so I had to. I was trying to come kind of back away from that. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was not easy. Mm-hmm. And by, at this point, we were in rehearsals. And so in my head, what's going on over there is you've got a pot on the stove and you're, you're trying yeah. to fix another part of your dinner over here. Yeah. That pot's coming to a boil and you've got to figure out, you know, how do I connect this thing to that thing? Because mm-hmm. it's already in progress. Well, Sharon's so brilliant with movement. And I know that... I'm talking about Sharon Gracie, the artistic director, was also the director of Compulsion. I forget sometimes everybody doesn't know that. Right. <laughs> but yeah, and, and it's such an important part, I think, of all of her productions. And yeah. It's such a unique part. Did that come in, like, as you were starting to yes, figure out how to um, things? It did. And like you say, it's, it's such an important part. And it's, um, paradoxically, it's a thing that many directors just don't think about mm-hmm. because they're so involved in the words and they forget about the movement and it's almost as if they are forgetting that people are watching right what's going on stage at the same time they're hearing it and a lot of directors just don't think that way um and so this it factored in really heavily and it um it solved a lot of the issues about the locations the varying locations it created issues Mm -hmm. um as well but it once we reached that point, it, things began to untangle mm-hmm. and, and move forward. When, when the design came, and if we describe the, the, the front of the stage, so on top of the stage was this um, platform. What was it size-wise? It's 12 by 12. 12 by 12. Uh, square, but the diagonal went straight down the center of the theater. Up and down stairs. On a rake, mm-hmm. which it appeared to be very unsettling, because it almost seems like it was going to slide right into the audience, which right. I remember you talked about the other day was part of the the feel of it. Right. Yeah. And um, and I loved how you, they, you called it the Trisket. Which well, we, we nicknamed it the Trisket before um, it was painted. When that came, did that come first, or did like the, the background? I think that that was first. Yeah. Yeah. Because that was for me central. Right. To the to the action. This was an interesting show because it's very um symmetrical and 
center line right. oriented, which I sort of tend to try to avoid because that can, that can be really static. Mm-hmm. But I think it, the, the, the static nature factored into this, mm-hmm. um, this script. I think it was, um, I think it was appropriate for it. Yeah. And then the, then you had the columns in the background that kind of went over that had pieces. They were giant pieces of, um, the text of Anne Frank. Right. Um, diary and um, news reports and other things. How, how, how did that come? Um, that was just a lot of, um, mostly uh, research looking at examples of things. Mm -hmm. And it, um, we early on, um, in early production meetings had talked about, um, paper and, um, the props being built out of paper, mm-hmm. thing, you know, so all these suggestions and brainstorming because the, you know, the play is about the, the guy who wants to write the play about mm-hmm. Anne Frank and his subject is based on her diary and the, mm-hmm. the writings. The writing. What he wanted to do is based on his writings. It was all about paper and writing and publishing and all that. So that's, that's mm-hmm. where a lot of that came from. Plus with the, the, uh, World War II German Nazi mm-hmm. thing, they wrote everything they down. Did. Yeah. And so more paper. Yeah. It's just paper everywhere you looked. It had a real, it was both, you felt the weight, but you also, it felt everything was kind of constrained. And then you, in between these pillars were empty space. Right. Um, which um, was lit, you know, for different scenes, like the subway, those kind of things. Did that... Which came first? Did the design come first and the idea of how to use it? Or was it always part of? I think design first, then use, mm-hmm. but very narrowly. Neck right and on neck. its heel. Yeah, very, yeah, very yeah. close. Because it really did feel like when it came together, it was, again, it's that collaboration. It's that it just clicked. Yeah. Yeah. You need a few factors that will trigger other things mm-hmm. so and sometimes it's the use that triggers the construction mm-hmm. and sometimes it's the other way around once you start to see things whether it's in the model or on the stage or whatever sometimes when you see those things it, the physicality of it mm-hmm. that will trigger the use right and it just was like i said it was it was awesome any other thoughts about that show in retrospect um not really. Yeah, um, I was, I was pleased with it. I liked the um, the marionettes and the footlights. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, the footlights, yeah, those footlight scenes. Yeah, um, and it all. I think it all just played really well together. Yeah, it's such a beautiful show. It really, um, you know, it was such a great uh, cap to that twentieth. It's it's a difficult show, but yeah. once you begin to find your way through it, mm-hmm. it really does have those moments. Yeah. How are you feeling about next year? <laughs> Tired. It's always this time of year, right? <laughs> yep. Well, I'll, we'll all tired. take a little break and see how it goes. But yeah. Um, yeah, I talked to somebody at the reception who who was saying, That's just really, I really enjoyed it. And he said, I, I thought, Compulsion, what a title. What is that? Right. And he said, By the you know, second act, I'm going, Of course. Yeah. Compulsion. Yeah. You know, and it's one of those things, once again, it's like I was saying about the scenery being a part of the character. A lot of people forget that people who write things don't just write stuff down. Right. It's connected. It's yeah. related in a it way. It all comes it's out. It's organic and yeah. it has to be a, a piece. That's when it really works, yeah. I think, for me. 
So um, one last question. If we go back, you talked about the music part, like the, the kind of the, the nugget or the kernel was that live feeling. How does that relate to what you create now? Do you have, is there some kind of... If it relates at all, it's vicarious. Mm. Because by, at least by Thursday, pay what you will, you know, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. There's not much else I can really do. Mm -hmm. And you, it's like anybody else, a director or any other designer, you just say, well, it's their show now. Right. Uh, so it's just that. It doesn't have the, the live um, immediate thing of doing your own performance. Yeah. It's, you're, you're a little separate from yeah. it that way. Do you miss that at all? I do. Yeah. Um, enough to keep trying to do it again. Yeah. But Still playing? Yeah. Keep trying, but yeah. it's been at least 35 years. Yeah. And um, I opened my guitar. It's been under the bed, and it was like <laughs> Dracula's <laughs> coffin. Because <laughs> it was under there for a long, long time. Yeah. But like acting, it's it engages a part of your brain that you yeah. you don't you always engage. Right. And you just need to keep doing that. And that was Richard Hefner. We're out on tour right now in South Carolina with Septima. Just had a great weekend in Beaufort. Be sure to check it out at A City Near You. Until next week, keep it pure. Thank you.